I want to talk about questioning God. And I know that your grandmother and your grandfather told you to never do that. Never question God. But today that's what I want to talk about. Questioning God. Because if you live long enough, and if you go through enough stuff in your life, and you face enough issues and go through enough mess, you may never verbalize it, but there's going to come a time you're going to question God. And I dare say, if we would be honest this morning, that some of us are right there right now. You got some questions for God. And when you do that, when you start to question God, don't feel so guilty about the fact that you're asking God a question. Because if you're questioning God, you're in some good company. Moses questioned God. He saw all the issues and the things that was going down with the children of Israel. And he wanted to know, God, have you left us? God, have you abandoned us? And then the text I just read to you in Judges chapter 6, Gideon questioned God. He wanted to know why, what, and how. And remember, Jesus was dying on the cross. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why? When you question God, you in some good company. I'm not too sure if God doesn't mind us questioning him when we're asking the right questions with the right attitude and looking for the right answer from him. Because there have been some, some great questions that have been asked that are very challenging to the things in our lives. I bet you eternally there's a question that most of us have asked. And that's that question theologians for history have been asking centuries has been going on. That is the question concerning the existence of God and evil. That if God is all good and all love and all kind, then why does evil exist in the world? How do you justify the existence of evil when God is supposed to be all good? And then then, then somebody's worldview is not that big. Let me just put it in your seat so you understand it. If God is all love and God is all power, then why do we face what we face? Why do I go through the issues? Why do I have the problems I have? Why am I in the situation I'm in? If God is all love and God is all power, then how did this happen to me? Does he love me? Does he have the power to change my situation? Does he have the power to prevent it from happening? If that is the case, then why am I in it? And then some of us come to the conclusion, well, maybe God is all love. Maybe he loves me, but doesn't have the power to do anything about what I'm facing. And then some of us take the other side of that. And we say, no, no, God is all power. We know that we can look at the universe and his order and see this world. And we know that God is all power, but maybe he doesn't love me. Because there's no way for God to possess the power he has and for him to love me and not get me out of this. Maybe God just doesn't love me. Let me tell you how I've come to grips with that. I've always understood that, that whenever I question the love of God, when I'm wondering, does God still love me? Has God given up on me? Does God still care about me? I always look at the crucifixion. Calvary shouts out that God loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves you so much that if you had been the only sinner, the only person to mess up, Jesus still would have died on the cross. He loves you. When you question his love, look at the crucifixion. When you question God's power, when, when, when his power is in question, I look at his resurrection. 
When I wonder, does God have the power to do anything? I look at the resurrection of Jesus who stood out on resurrection ground and said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead and there's nothing else that God can't do. Abraham, is anything too hard for God? No. Then how do you rationalize his love and his power, but yet I can't pay my bills? His love and his power, but my family's still falling apart. That God loves me and he's got the power, but yet there's sickness that is coming to my home. How do you deal with that? Y'all, God is also sovereign, which means he can do whatever he wants to do whenever he gets ready. Use whomever he please, do it right well with no input from you and me. God doesn't have to explain to you and I why he does what he does. He's sovereign. But since I know he loves me and since I know he's got the power, his word also teaches me that all things work together for good. So no matter what I'm going through, I know that God loves me enough that he's got the power to work behind the scenes, working my situation out for good. That's enough preaching right there. I can extend the invitation. Just to know that the stuff I'm facing, even if I don't see God working, God is at work and he's got the power to handle what I'm going through and he loves me enough to work it out for me. Gideon is questioning God. He wants to know why. He wants to know what. He wants to know how. If God, here's the first question he asks, if God is with us, then why is all this stuff happening to us? I mean, you think about it. If, if God is, is with us and he's omniscient, he's all wise, then why do I have to encounter so much foolishness? If God is with us and he's omnipresent, then why do I feel so lonely? If God is with us and and he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, then why do I experience periods of weakness and times of defeat? That's That's what Gideon was asking. If God is on our side, why is all this stuff happening to us? Or maybe we don't understand the context. Most of us know Gideon from when he took that, that, that 22,000 men down to, or the 10,000 men down to the water. And God told him, uh, whichever man bows down on their hands and knees and drinks the water like a dog, set them to the side. And then those who, who positioned themselves that they can lift the water up and drink from their hand, set them to the side. And it was 300 that drank from the hand. And he took the 300 and brought the victory. Most of us know about that. But many of us don't know how it came to that. What happened? Well, when Judges chapter 6 opens up, it opens up by saying that God delivered the children of Israel into the hands of their enemies. That God put them in the hands of the Midianite. God took them and delivered them over to their enemies. If God is for us, then why does he let our enemies do to us what what they're doing? And then those enemies prevailed against them. Those enemies attacked them. There were so many Midianites The Bible said it was like a multitude of grasshoppers coming up against them. And they prevailed against Israel. If God is with us, why do we live defeated lives? Why do we keep losing one challenge after another? Why do we end up being losers if if God is with us? And then those Midianites, they would wait. Those, Those Midianites were mean. They would wait until the children of Israel would plow and then sow seed or plant their seed. And then they would wait until just before harvest and the Midianites would come in and take all of their fruit and all their vegetables their ox, their sheep and just would ravish and destroy their harvest they would let the children of Israel work and plant and sow and then before they could reap it the enemy would come in and get everything they had so that the children of Israel were working hard but they had nothing to show for it but because 
before they could reap it, the enemy came in and got it. If God is for us, if he's with us, then how can we work so hard and don't get to reap the stuff we sold? I mean, you're working hard in your marriage. It would be different if you were lazy and didn't care what happened, but you've been working hard and putting energy for and trying your best and ain't got nothing to show for. You've been trying to raise your children in the way of the Lord and you've been putting forth all that effort, all that vim, all that vitality and doing everything you can to bring them up right and look at what happened. You've been going to work. You work two jobs. You work overtime. You're doing everything you can and, and, and still don't reap enough to pay your bills. And God is supposed to be for us. God, I can understand if I'm lazy like some people, but God, I'm trying. And I'm working and don't have anything to show for it. And so the children of Israel, when the Midianites were kept, kept doing that, the children of Israel just decided to run and hide in the mountains. They up in the mountains hiding out in the cleft of rocks and in dens and in caves. If God is for us, what's this business with inadequate housing? I mean, he's, he's a God who's rich in houses and in land. Why am I living in an inadequate house? An inadequate living environment up in the mountains in a cave somewhere and God's supposed to be on my side. No wonder Gideon is questioning God. And then the Bible says not only were the children of Israel imprisoned, but they were impoverished. They were in poverty. Working hard. They were sowing and planting and plowing, working hard. Still in poverty. Still poor. And God's supposed to be on their side. And then that's when the preacher showed up in verse 7. And you know, you don't want to hear no preacher when you're going through all that stuff. And the preacher shows up in verse 7. And watch what the preacher does. The prophet reminds them of what God had already done in their life. The preacher comes along and says, remember when God delivered you out of Egypt? Remember when God delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians? Remember when God brought you through the Red Sea and brought you through the wilderness? Remember how God fed you? Remember how God brought you to the promised land and you lived in houses that you didn't build and ate of fruit that you did not plant? Remember what God did. Then it gets down to verse 10. And the preacher said, when God did all that for you, he told you to worship him, worship Jehovah, and told you not to worship the gods of your enemies in this land. And the NIV says, but you did not listen. King James Version says, you did not obey. Now, herein lies the reason why they were going through what they were going through. Because they ended up in that position because they didn't listen and they wouldn't obey. You know, sometimes I go through some stuff, y'all, and it ain't the devil. It ain't my enemies. It's, it's me. I just, I wouldn't listen. Some situations I ended up in because I was disobedient to God. And y'all ain't got to look at me funny either. Because if you'll be honest and if you'll admit it, somebody told you don't hook up with her. Somebody told you he ain't the one. Somebody told you it's too early to get married. Somebody told you to save some money. Don't, somebody told you don't get that car. Don't you buy that house. Somebody told you don't go there. Don't hang out with that group. But you didn't listen. And then wondered what, what happened to God. It, nothing happened to God. Somebody ought to help me preach this. It's, sometimes it's our own disobedience. Now I want to say this quickly because some of us are not reaping and it's not because of disobedience. Some of us are not reaping what we've sown because it just ain't time. 
You just got to learn how to wait on God. Yes, you've worked hard. You've sold. You've plowed. You've done well in your marriage. You've done well trying to raise those kids. Now you just got to wait on harvest time. Don't grow weary in well-doing. You will reap if you don't give up. You just got to And some of us, we haven't reaped as of yet because sometimes God takes you through struggles in order to build your strength. It doesn't mean you've been disobedient or you've disobeyed God or didn't listen. It means that sometimes God is going to let you go through some stress and some struggle because that struggle is going to build your strength. And there's a whole lot of other reasons why some of us are not reaping right now. But for a lot of us, it's just like children of Israel. We disobeyed God and now we got to face what we got to face. Because you know what? I learned this uh, as a parent myself. I got four kids, ages three through uh, 13. And uh, I learned this with them. The only way that I could teach them obedience is to have painful consequences for disobedience. That's the only way. When my kids, when my kids disobey and I tell them to do something and they don't listen to me, I can't just grab them and hug them. Oh, daddy still loves you. Just because uh, they'll go right back and do the same old thing. So what I have to do is bring some painful consequence. You didn't listen to me. You heard what I told you and you did it. You disobeyed me. Here are some painful consequences. I'm doing this not because I hate you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm punishing you because I, oh, somebody ought to hear what I'm saying. It's my love for you that makes me punish you. So you submit to my will because I know what's best for you. All right, y'all didn't get it with my four kids, but I know you get it with our heavenly father. Because the Bible says that God chastens those he loves. So whenever God is disciplining you, God is chastening you when God is punishing you, God doesn't hate you. That's not a sign of hatred. That's a sign of love. God says, I love you too much to keep letting you go to that place you ain't got no business. I love you too much to keep getting in these ungodly relationships. I love you too much to keep allowing you to waste your money like this. So I'm going to do everything I can to punish you with a painful situation so that you straighten up and submit to my will because Father does know best. Y'all, God hasn't forsaken you. He loves us. Pastor, no, it's not disobedience why I'm in this. Well, maybe I should have read verse 1 to you first. Verse 1 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of God. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I need to bring that up because some of us think, Well, what I'm doing is not so bad. From whose sight? Because many of us are thinking right now, because other people didn't see me do it. How am I in this mess? And other folk didn't see me. Most of us are not concerned about living holy. We just don't want to get caught. So we live all our life not trying to be righteous, but trying not to get caught. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So as long as nobody knows me when I do it, and nobody sees me when I do it, we think it's okay. I want you to understand something. When you think nobody's seeing you, somebody's seeing you. When you think nobody's looking, somebody's looking. Well, who's looking? God is looking. Everything you do is in the eyes of God. I don't care how dark it is. Okay, how dark the alley, how many shades you pull down, how many alarms you turn on. Somebody ought to hear me today. God sees all. Don't you ever think that God is too busy that he's not concerned about you. 
Some of us think God is so busy trying to get the sun to rise in the east and to set in the western horizon and God's got to keep the stars twinkling. God's got to keep these mountains up and the valleys low and the rivers flowing, the streams meandering. God's got so much to do, he's not concerned. Yes, he is. You, God loves you so much that he's checking you out everywhere you go. God's got an eye on you. God is watching you. And many of us are going and doing all this crazy stuff And then wonder why my life is not working out because of evil in the sight of God. Some of us are thinking, well, it's not other people's sight I'm concerned about. I just, I don't think it's so bad. I mean, it's not as bad as as somebody else. Look at what everybody else is doing. This ain't so bad in my own sight. I mean, I'm I'm only human. Y'all, you can't look at stuff just from your point of view. You got to look at it from God's perspective. What does God think about what you're doing? And for many of us, the stuff we're doing is evil in God's sight. Because when we start going from our own perspective, it is interesting to me. When we go from our own own perception, when other folk do certain things, it's evil. But when I do the same thing, it's explainable. Come on, (laughs) y'all. Did you hear what so-and-so did? They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have said that. I don't know why they act like that. Then they're going to try to act all churchy and everything. See, they shouldn't have been doing that. And you're doing the same thing. Yeah, but you know, the only reason I'm doing this, see, if my wife was right, then I wouldn't have to do all this. If my husband wouldn't act that way, you know, if they hadn't done that to me, I wouldn't have done it back. Yours is explainable. If mom and daddy had raised me right, then I wouldn't have done Why is it evil for everybody else and explainable to you? That's because we all need to be looking at it from God's perspective and God's point of view. Evil. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Whatever else evil is, don't forget anything. If you forget anything else I say, remember this. Whatever else evil is, evil is live spelled backwards. And a whole lot of us are living our lives backwards, wondering why things don't come out straight. Backwards. So some of us want to get paid, but we don't want to work. Backwards. We want rewards, but no responsibility. Backwards. That we want to have sex, but don't want to get married. Backwards. We want to have babies and then get a husband. Backwards. And we do like, we live life backwards and wonder why stuff ain't coming out straight. So God sends a preacher to remind you. And the preacher shows up in verse 7 reminding what God has already done. He starts talking about how God brought you out and how God delivered you, how God made a way. See, when you start recalling what God has already done, that helps you to straighten out your life. The apostle Paul says that the goodness of God brings a person to repentance. That when I'm messing up and living an ungodly life and I start remembering how good God has been to me, It helps me to live right. That's what he's saying. Look at all the stuff God has done. See, some of us misunderstand grace. And we take grace and try to use it as a license to sin. Grace, the unmerited favor. Well, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it, but God forgives me anyway. God gives me another chance. That's what grace is. And some of us misunderstand and misinterpret where sin abounds. Grace does more abound. And we think... Well, then the more I sin, the more grace I get. So the more I will sin so that I can get God's grace. We use it as a license to sin. And so we start putting sin in our budget. 
premeditated evil and sin in our monthly planner because I'm going to go ahead and do it because I know after I do it, God's going to forgive me. Y'all, that ain't what grace is all about. Grace is about thinking about all the things that God has done, all the doors he's opened, the times he's healed you, the times he's made a way for you, the time you didn't think you were going to make it, but God saw you through. You never thought you finished school, but yet you made it. And you start thinking of the goodness of God and the goodness of God leads a person to repentance. But when you forget it was God that brought you, that's why the preacher came and reminded them, you wouldn't even be who you are, where you are, if it had not been for God. Some of us have forgotten. Some of y'all, I, I'm getting a little older, and I used to be able to memorize my sermons from front to finish, never have to pause, never do nothing. They just come back to me. It don't work like that anymore. I don't know if I know so much now. I'm getting older. Can't remember it like that anymore. So I went to a, a, a memory expert, and, and they told me, well, you got to write stuff down. So if you write it down, you remember it easier and all that kind of stuff. I said, okay, that's cool. And there was this older couple that was the same way. They got a little older, couldn't remember stuff the way they used to, so they went to their physician. I said, Doc, we, getting, we, we can't remember like we used to. We walk in the room, forget what we went in there for. Just all kind of stuff. Be looking for our glasses. It's on our face. We, so the doctor said, well, you're just getting old. You're getting old. But what you're going to have to do is write stuff down. It'll help you remember. And then even if you forget, you got your list of what you need. So the old couple was in bed one night. And the old man got up out of bed to go get some water. And his wife said, uh, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get some water. And she said, will you bring me some ice cream when you come back? He said, I'd be honored to bring you some ice cream. And then, then she said, you going to write that down? Because, you know, the doctor said we can know. <laughs> You need to write that down so you can... He said, no, 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 I'm just going to the kitchen, coming right back. I ain't going to forget your ice cream. She said, well, put some chocolate syrup on it for me. And uh, he said, okay, chocolate syrup, ice cream, I got it. She said, you going to write that down? He said, I'm going straight to the kitchen, coming right back. I can't... I remember ice cream, chocolate syrup. And then she said, one more thing, bring me some water because I get thirsty after I eat ice cream. I need a glass of water. He said, no problem. I got it. Write it down. He said, uh-uh, I got it. I'm going to bring it. He was in the kitchen for about 20 minutes. Came back after 20 minutes, and he had a plate with bacon and eggs on it. And he handed his wife the bacon and eggs, and she looked at him and said, See, I told you to write it down. You forgot my toast. Some of y'all forget that. On your, you get it on your way home. Listen. You got to remember what God has done in your life. Because when you remember it was God that made a way, it was God that opened that door, God that paid those bills, God that lifted you up, then you start realizing that God has been too good to me for me to live an unholy life. Do I have a witness in here? So God gives them a reminder. Then he brings some revelation, which leads, leads to the next question. And that is, Gideon asked the second question. The second question he asked was, um, whatever happened to the miracles of God? Where are the wonders of God? That's his, he's questioning God. He wants to know, does God still perform miracles? And he said, the ones our fathers told us about. Our grandparents and grand, great-grandparents used to tell us stories about the miracles of God. Red seas opening, manna from on high, turning bitter water sweet, getting water out of a rock. He said, where are the miracles? Look at the mess we in. He wanted to know, does God still show up? Does God still intervene and do stuff that people can't explain? Where are the miracles? Is he still healing 
Is he still a way maker? Where are the miracles? If he still is, then where are our miracles? Why did he open up stuff for our great-grandparents and, and grandparents, but nothing is opening for us? How come God won't show up when I'm in a jam and in a tight and then bring me out so that folk could have to ask me, how did you get out of there? What happened to the miracles? How come God ain't doing what he used to do? Y'all know what I'm talking about, the stories grandma and grandpa used to tell us. Oh, what God brought them through, what they had to endure. And it amazes me that, that grandma had less than us, but seemed to do more with less. Where the, where the miracles? How come God won't show up like that for us? Yo, my grandmother had nine children, nine. And, and compared to what I make, grandma didn't make nothing. Granddaddy didn't make nothing compared to what, and y'all ain't got to look at me funny either because based on what you make and what your grandparents made, that ain't nothing. Grandma had nine kids, nine kids, trying to raise them off nothing, just butter and sugar sandwiches. <laughs> Hand-me-down clothes, y'all know what I'm talking about. But yet somehow she could raise nine kids, little or nothing, barely had a house, still could provide, still could educate and train them. Some of them got degrees, all of them got jobs, help me now off little or nothing and then we got one or two kids Woo, I don't know how I'm going to make it all the money oh I can't do it grandma didn't have no Nintendo no Playstation no Barney come on couldn't just throw them in front of the VCR and you don't know how how am I going to make it where the miracles all the stuff we got and we can't make it grandma would sit down at the table with nine kids and a bowl or whatever she could put together and then she'd pray. You know what? I believe the difference is grandma and them expected miracles. I, I believe the difference is that big mama and them thought God could make a way. That's why God ain't doing nothing now because we don't believe he can do anything. We praying for people and don't believe anything's going to happen. Laying hands on the sick and don't believe God is a healer. That's why ain't no miracles. Because you don't have enough faith to believe God will make a way. You don't have enough faith to trust him. That if I believe and stand on the promises of God, God's got to do something. Because he obligates himself that his word will never go out in vain. Grandma sit there at the table with nine kids and a bowl or whatever she could get together. And then she just had to pray. She know it ain't enough to go around. But she's got to pray. Lord, I thank you for what we're about it ain't enough but i thank you for what we're about to receive for the nourishment of our body for christ's sake amen and by the time grandma gets to dipping and pouring god gets to blessing and it's enough to go around do i have a witness in here we don't believe it anymore grandma didn't have no insurance on her kids every time they got a little sniffle run to the hospital no no money to do that. Grandma would just have to lay hand in the name of Jesus. We ain't got no money, can't afford no doctor. But the Bible says that God is a great physician and I believe he's a doctor that's never lost in Jesus' name. We don't even believe it in it. How many of you know God still works miracles? Y'all, that's why you need a reminder because if you can remember what he's already done, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. 
if he did it in the past, he'll do it now. If he healed for Big Mama, he'll heal for you. If he paid Grandpa's bills, he'll pay your bills. If he took care of Mama Shug, he'll take you. Is there a witness in this place? If you believe it, God can perform. He still works miracles. Whatever happened to the miracles, they went out when we stopped believing. And then he asked another question. He's questioning God. He asked another question in verse 15. This is at the God has commissioned Gideon. He said, I want you. I know, the, I know children of Israel are in the jam, but I want you to go and save them. I want you to go set them free. Gideon said, how can I save Israel? He said, God, look, look it's me, Gideon. He said, God, I'm, I'm in the tribe of Manasseh. There were 12 tribes of Israel. The most insignificant one was Manasseh. He said, I'm, I'm in the least tribe. Then he said, I'm the least one in the tribe. I'm the least of the least. I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the insignificant of the insignificant. And now you want me, God, I got enough issues of my own. I'm trying to deal with my own situation. I can't even handle myself. Now you want me to save a nation? God, how can I do? That's his question. That's his question. Because he's looking at his background. He's looking at his family history and all of that. And he's come up with all the facts on why he can't get it done. But the angel told him, God is with you. And y'all, I don't care what your background is. If God is with you, I promise everything he says will come to pass, will come to pass if God is with you. And that's where Gideon messed up because the text says, uh, Gideon, God is with you. Gideon says, if God is with us, why is this happening? And don't miss that. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. God said, I'm with you. Gideon said, God, if you with us, he didn't say I'm with us. He said I'm with you. Y'all can come back to that in a minute. But why did God choose Gideon? You know what Gideon was doing when, when God chose him? The angel showed up and it said that Gideon was at the wine press. Uh, he was threshing wheat at the wine press. Homeboy was working. Now remember everybody else had quit. Run, hid in the mountain. Ain't no hope. Ain't no use. And instead of fighting, they took flight. They ran out. But look at Gideon. Gideon said, I don't care what the odds are. I'm going to keep on working. I'm going to keep on trying. See, God ain't picking no lazy people to deliver other folk. And, and, and he's still producing. Everybody else's crop has been destroyed. He's threshing wheat. How is he able to produce when everybody else's stuff has been destroyed? Now, check him out. He's threshing wheat at the wine press. That blew my mind. Threshing wheat. Everybody else's crops are destroyed. Look at where he's threshing wheat. At the wine press. Y'all, the wine press is where they made wine. But it didn't say he was crushing grapes. He wasn't smashing grapes. Look at what he's doing. He's threshing wheat at the wine press. Oh, y'all ain't getting this. Um, the, if the old preacher was preaching this, that's what he would have called this sermon. Threshing wheat at the wine press. Because... Gideon understood that there's some people that don't want me to have what I have. And since some folk don't want me to have nothing, I can't always show what I got too soon because some people will try to take what I... So I got to thresh wheat in places I wouldn't normally thresh wheat. Y'all ain't getting this. He's threshing wheat at the place they make grapes. At the, at the place where wine is produced, he's, he has to take a place that's known for something else. But because of the situation that's happening to us, 
then we got to be able to produce in places and do things that are normally known for some people are dogging me but I don't always have things the way I would they think that Eastern Star has unlimited money no we don't but since I'm in the predicament I'm in I can't cry and say why won't God do something I gotta be able to thresh wheat at the wine press so I gotta take a school and make it into a church I got to take something that's known for one thing and use it for something else because my situation ain't perfect for me. So I got to take a warehouse and renovate it, clean it up, put some walls on it, some paint on it, put a sign up saying what Jesus is exalted in the word explained, put in a sound system. Now the warehouse is a worship center. Y'all, when stuff ain't going your way, you got to thresh wheat at the wine press. You got Y'all, you got to take the hand you're dealt and do the best you can do with it. And while you're doing the best you can do, God will show up where you are trying to make it off the little you got. He's threshing wheat. That's what the old preacher would have called. The old preacher would have called this sermon threshing wheat at the wine press. Because you know what? For years, Negroes have known how to take a bad situation and make something good out of it. Y'all sitting up here waiting, as soon as everything is perfect, then I'm gonna get it. No, 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 I can't wait till everything's perfect because it ain't gonna ever be perfect. Uh, Y'all remember in, in slave times, the slave master used to get a hog and then kill the hog. And then the slave master would take what they considered to be the best part of the hog and then throw the rest to the slaves. And so the slave, y'all know what I'm talking about slave master would take that hog and then cut out ham and cut out pork chop what they consider to be the best part of the pig bacon and sausage now all that's left so the slave master thinks is a carcass so they just throw that out to the slaves but negroes know how to thresh wheat at the wine press so they take that carcass and cut off the head and make some hog head cheese cut off the pig's feet and make some pig feet. We still eat it today. They would take the intestines out of the pig, wash it up, cook it, and have some chitlins. Now y'all Negroes call them chitterlings. No, they ain't chitterlings. No, the chitlins. Because they know how to take a bad situation and make something good out of it. You, you got to thresh wheat at the wine press. Even when stuff ain't going the way you think, I told you about my grandmama, she's here today. Grandmama used to take some raggedy pair of pants, discarded shirt that can't be worn anymore, a messed up sweater that's seen his last days, a rag with holes in it that can't wash nothing, a towel that can never dry again, that has no use for it. And grandma used to cut up the pants and then she cut squares out of the shirt, take a piece of the sweater, take some of the towels, some of the rag, then she would sew the pants to the shirt, the shirt to the rag, the rag to the towel, the towel to the sweater, and she called it a quilt. She had to learn how to thresh wheat at the wine press. Y'all stuffing on, and you know what? The quilt is the most expensive blanket you can buy today. It's a historical thing because Negroes learned how to thresh wheat at the... Out of you waiting on the perfect job. 
waiting on the perfect situation. Baby, you got to take what you got and do the best you can because God will show up. George Washington come. Everybody sitting around snacking on peanuts. George Washington called and said, listen, I'm going to have to thresh some wheat. So while they snacking on peanuts, he's making peanut butter. They snacking on peanuts. George Washington Carver is, is making, he's making some, some grease cooking oil. He's making some glue from the peanuts. He's making soap from the peanuts. He's making hair grease and shampoo body lotion from the peanuts because he couldn't sit there and wait for everything to be fine and folk are like me regardless of my color. He said, I don't care what nobody says or does. I'm going to make the best I got with what I have till I can get what I need. Do I have a witness in here? Baby, you just got to work what you got. Look at somebody and tell them, work what you got. How many of you know if you work what you got, God will show up with what you need. Gideon, set my people free. Gideon said, how, how can I do this? I look at my background, God. I'm the least of the least. I'm the worst of the worst. And you want me to do this? Gideon, I'm with you. If you're with us, no, I'm with you. And Gideon, if I'm with you, anybody in this nation that gets close to you gets victories in their life. See, many of us ain't going to like what I'm getting ready to say. See, God will choose one person and choose to use them. And everybody associated with that one person, God gets, blesses them because they're hanging out with the one person. God didn't necessarily choose Israel. He chose Moses. Moses helped set them free. Everybody that went with him got set free. They went through the, the Red Sea. God chose, God chose Joshua after Moses. And everybody that walked through the Jordan had to walk through with Joshua. Because God chose one person who would bless. God chose Gideon. Said, if, if, if I'm with you, you'll set this whole nation. I know we don't like that. God chose one man, Jesus. And because of that one man, everybody that gets next to Jesus gets saved. We don't like that. That's why some people got problems with me right now. God chose me. I was minding my own business. Just trying to pay my bills. Threshing wheat at the wine press. God said, I'm choosing you because I want you to help set Indianapolis free. And the same folk he sent me to set free are the ones talking about me and dogging me. If you got an issue with me being blessed, take it up with God. I was minding my own business. But remember, everybody that gets close to me gets blessed. When architects can draw up the, the, the drawings for our churches, that's because God blessed me. General contractors get to build the buildings that we build because God blessed me. I know some of y'all don't like it. Subcontractors, plumbers get to work. Electricians get to work. Masonry people get to work. Why? Because God blessed me. Y'all ain't understanding what I'm saying. Administrators get jobs. Teachers get to teach. Kids get to learn because God blessed Some of y'all got saved. Some of y'all been set free. Your marriages are a lot better. Your children moving in the right direction. God bless me. We took a hundred Negroes to Europe. Straight from the ghetto. 
over in Europe talking about we on tour. Can't even spell Paris, but because God blessed. If I was you, I wouldn't dog me. I'd try to get close to me. Y'all ain't getting it, y'all ain't getting it, y'all ain't getting it. Gideon, Gideon didn't understand it at first either. Gideon, God said, I want to use you to set these people free. And you know what Gideon did? Gideon said, okay, I got to listen to God. And he went to the 12 tribes of Israel and said, y'all, we got to get an army together to fight against the Midianites. 32,000 men showed up. Overnight, it went from being by himself to 32,000 men. Gideon was looking at his army saying, well, you know what? We may be able to handle the multitude of the Midianites now. God pulled him to the side. You got too many. Gideon said, God, have you seen the army of the Midianites down in that valley? Is that like a multitude of grasshoppers? All I got is 32,000. God said, you got too many of them. And I don't want you to forget, I told you I would be with you. Now you got too many of them. And if you keep too many of them, you're going to forget that I'm with you. And I don't want you or Israel to ever misunderstand who delivered you. So I want you to get rid of some of them so that they will know I'm with you. Y'all, sometimes God sends you through some stuff to prove to you you don't need everybody you thought you needed to do what you ought to do. They tried to cut cut you down, tried to dig a ditch, wouldn't hire you. Wouldn't let you in. Don't worry about it. You ain't got to stalk nobody. You ain't got to chase nobody. You ain't got to give nothing up to be with nobody. Sometimes God is trying to show you, you don't need them because you got him. Oh, I wish I had hours to preach this. You got too many. He told him, listen, everybody that's scared out of 32,000, everybody that's scared, Gideon, tell them to go home. 22,000 left. Because they were scared. He had 10,000 to go. He's thinking, okay, I can still do this with 10,000. God said, you still got too many. He said, well, God, how do you want me to decide who goes? These people are not afraid. He said, I want you to go down to that body of water and take all 10,000 of them. Let's see how they satisfy needs. And some of them went down there to satisfy their need at the water and got down on their hands and knees like a dog. And decided that I'm going to satisfy this desire underneath my skin the way a dog does. God said, set them to one side. Because I'm not using dogs to accomplish what I want to accomplish here. And then the rest of them went down there and positioned themselves in the proper way to be able to satisfy needs that they have underneath their skin. It wasn't but 300. And God said, now we ready to go to battle. You know what? I'd rather have 300 people with faith that know how to satisfy their desires than to have 32,000 dogs who are afraid to accomplish anything. I guarantee you, you can take 32,000 people who are scared and give me 300 people with faith and we're going to win every time. I just need y'all, you know what? We're trying to build ministry and save lives and, and make a difference. We're trying to have a, a world view concerning how we minister. And I really don't need 32,000 of y'all to do it. I just need a few hundred people who believe that if God is for us, he's more than the world against us. 
I just need a few hundred people who will make themselves available to be used by God. I need a few hundred people who will stop acting like dogs and understand there's a proper way to satisfy the needs. And I need a few people who will just make themselves available to be you. How many understand what I'm talking about? Y'all, if we got the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, we can move mountains. Let me close like this. Joshua wants to know. He said, he said how can I do it? God, you want me to say this? All the stuff I'm going through, how can I? I'm from a bad family. I'm from an insignificant group. My background is messed up. I'm in poverty. I'm struggling myself. And he named all the facts why he can't do what God wanted him to do. And God, in essence, was saying, why are you counting up the facts? Don't you forget about the truth. Fact is, you are from a messed up background. Fact is, your daddy is worshiping Baal. Fact is, you are the insignificant of the insignificant. You're the least of the least. All of that is a fact. But the truth is, I'm with you. Oh, let me close like this. Jerry Rice. Y'all heard of Jerry Rice? Y'all, when Jerry Rice, who, who plays in the NFL, when he first came out of college, the NFL scouts scouted him and decided he ain't good enough play in the NFL. Jerry Rice, they sent some scouts down to Mississippi. And they looked at his school, Mississippi Valley State. And they said, this is where he played? I said, yeah. They said, no, his school is too small. He'll never make it in the NFL. Then they took a measuring tape and they measured Jerry Rice. They said, he's too short to play in the NFL. Then they put him on a scale. And Jerry Rice stood up on the scale. And they saw how much he weighed. He said, no, he's too light playing the NFL. Then, then they took a stopwatch. And they told him to run the 40-yard dash, and they timed him. He's too slow. He'll never make it at the National Football League level. But you know what the San Francisco 49ers understood? That there's something measuring tapes can't measure, and scales can't determine, and the eyes of man can't figure out. They said Jerry Rice has a big heart, and a desire to overcome, and a desire to win. And when other folks said he couldn't do it, with all the facts, truth is, He's caught more reception TDs in the NFL than anybody. Truth is, he's got more receiving yards than anybody that's ever played the game. Truth is, he's won one Super Bowl after another. Truth is, he's going to go down in history as the greatest NFL player to ever play the game. Why? Because he didn't listen to folk telling him what he couldn't do. I'm through with this message, but you better stop listening to folk saying what you can't do, what you can't achieve, and what level you can't operate. Because if God be for you, I wish I had somebody praying with me. He's more than the world against you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Whatever your question is, Jesus is the answer. God with us, Emmanuel, that's what Jesus is. He's with us. So whatever you're going through, Jesus is the answer. Look at somebody tell them, Jesus is the answer. See, they think you don't know the question. It don't matter what the question is. Oh, I wish I had somebody. Jesus is the answer. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need is going to be added unto you. Jesus is your answer. I know you thought if you could just get enough men in your life. Mm. Jesus is the answer. I know you thought if I could just fix myself up and get my... Jesus. 
there's, there's only one name given unto heaven whereby men might be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He said, you, you haven't even asked for anything in my name. All the stuff you're trying to do, you tried to get it, he said, without his name. He said, if you would just ask in my name, I'll give it to you. God has highly exalted him, given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know your crisis. I don't know your predicament or your situation. But whatever question you got, I promise you Jesus has an answer for it. It's in him. You got to get with Jesus Christ. If God is with us, why is all this happening? To help us to understand the need for him in our life. What happened to the miracles? How come God won't show up for me? You don't believe it. You don't trust him. You don't have faith. How can I do anything in life? Emmanuel, God is with you. When you got Jesus, there ain't nothing you can't do.